morning, everyone. Good morning. Glad you're here. Good morning. Here we are. And gathered again, just praising the Lord. We're a happy people. Yes, we are. We don't smoke and we don't chew. There ain't much that we can do. We're a happy people. Yes, we are. There we go. All right. Morning, everyone. I was singing again. I was singing, we're a happy people. Yes, we are. We're a happy people. Yes, we are. We don't smoke and we don't chew. There ain't much that we can do, but we're a happy people. Yes, we are. Oh, is this on? Sorry. <laughs> Good to see everyone here this morning. Glad that you are here in Sunday school. And uh, glad that you have decided to come to the house of the Lord today. Amen. And uh, we're going to get going this morning. We got our ushers are chomping at the bit to take up the offering this morning. They are ready to go. So I'm going to release them to take up the offering. And uh, we got a few announcements to go over today. Today, after service, immediately after service, there is a Bible quizzing bake sale. So that will be set up in the lobby, and there'll be stuff set up over here. And that is to help our Bible quizzers go to nationals. We have, I believe, three teams uh, going to nationals. So uh, that's a great thing. Some of them will be going this week, some the following week. But if you can help out, uh, that's for donation only. So uh, you can give a donation and take something home for dessert or for the ride home. You don't have to wait till you get home. You can just eat it right away. Um, but that will be today after service. Also today... Uh, at 2.30 will be the first uh, Bible study in Carlisle. That is today at 2.30. So uh, there's a group going over there, and uh, we're going to have prayer for them today. But uh, I encourage you to pray for them uh, outside of service. Believe in the Lord for a great work to happen in Carlisle. Amen. Sunday, July 28th, which is a couple weeks from today, we are going to have uh, the Wilbanks will be here. Uh, they're a singing group. You may have heard of... Uh, They've been around for a little while. They will be here on, uh, in two weeks. So remember that. Invite someone to that. Going to have a great time. Also, I do want to mention this uh, in plenty of time, uh, and you'll be hearing more about it, August 16th and 17th. Someone say August 16th and 17th. Okay. Uh, there's a program that North American Missions does uh, where they build a church in a day. Uh, they go, obviously this doesn't take place within cities. It's kind of hard to do a church in a day in the middle of Chicago. Uh, but this is going to take place in Paris, Illinois. So that's not too far from here. And, uh, it is a church in a day, which is pretty phenomenal. They start with a slab, uh, on, it'll be on August the 16th, which is a Friday. They're going to start early that morning and Sunday morning, that church will be having service in a finished building. That's pretty cool. I'm trying to get them here. <laughs> I told them we'd take two weeks. We'd extend it, church in two weeks. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't, keep praying for that, I guess. Um, but it, it's a, it's a district-wide effort. So it's the Illinois district. It's a national program, but the district comes together for this. And uh, you'll, you'll be hearing more information. I'll, I'll be sharing more about it. Uh, but they do need people to help. Uh, they need skilled and unskilled laborers. Uh, there is a website, which I was having a little trouble with this morning, but 
Uh, you can go on there and sign up. They've got all these different areas where they need help with. I do know that uh, Brother Jet is helping with the siding, and he did ask me if there's people from here that could help with the siding. So the plan is is to get some people from the church signed up, uh, drive a bus or a van, whatever, up there on the Friday, work, drive it up on the Saturday. And uh, if, you can't, if you can't do a whole lot, uh, just go watch what happens. I'm just, there's some things that I'm wondering how they're going to do. I think it's a lie, but no, it's really going to happen. It's really going to happen. But if you can help at all, and I will say this, we don't, we don't typically do this. Yes. What? What day was it? August 16th and 17th. Um, thank you for throwing me off. No. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Uh, we, don't, we don't typically ask this kind of thing. We, uh, but the reason why I'm telling you this, this is the first time Illinois, we celebrated 75 years of camp meeting last year in Illinois district. That's just camp meeting. So the district has been around for a long time. And this is the first time ever there's been a church in a day in Illinois. First time ever. So this is kind of a, a, a big deal. So I'm telling you this early. And like I said, we don't usually ask this, but I think it would be a great thing. Even if you had to take off work on Friday, take one day. A vacation day because this is going to be a pretty cool thing you're going to be part of something that's that's never happened here in illinois before i don't know when the next one will be and you'll get to be a part you can if you ever end up in paris illinois after this you can drive by that church and say i helped build that which is kind of cool okay so i'm telling you in plenty of time and like i said you'll hear more details about it as we go along and that's it i better get on with the lesson before jesse asks any more questions here there will be food. That's why you have to sign up. Okay. Two important things. All you need to know, 16th and 17th, there'll be food. Just show up. That's it. You don't even know what you're doing. That's, he's going to do announcements. He can't see. We won't go into that story, but he can do announcements. If you need a good story, ask Jesse why he can't see after service. Uh, but yes, that's why you have to sign up is because there will be food provided. Uh, so... Anyway, any, anything else from, from over here? All right, good. I've never seen Jesse raise his hands twice in the service, but that's good. <laughs> All right, so. Oh, boy. What, what's, what are we doing here today? I don't know. All right. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so to the word of the Lord now. <laughs> Amen. Uh, last week we started a series called The Great I Am. And uh, last week we, uh, we started that talking in, in John. Jesus gives seven I Am statements. And uh, this is going to be the second one. And this is, uh, this is a powerful uh, a statement here that Jesus makes. It's, it's talking about who he is. And uh, this week, it's, it's simply that uh, Jesus said in John when talking to the Pharisees, we're going to read it here in just a moment. He says, before Abraham was, I am. The great I am. And that's what we're going to look at today for a little while. Before Abraham was, I am. I wonder if we could pray this morning that the Lord would move in touch in all of our classes today that he would have his way. Lord Jesus, we come before you thankful 
privilege to be gathered together in your name one more time, Lord, that you have allowed us to gather together as your body, to worship you, to lift you up, to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that your word would do its work today, Lord. We know that your spirit, your presence is here, that your word is already settled. And Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to encourage us, to challenge us, to lift us up today, God. And Lord, I know that your work will do what it's here to accomplish. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to be reading from John chapter 8. Would I help if I had to turn there? John chapter 8, uh, and we're going to be starting in verse uh, 48 this morning. Reading a few verses here, 48 through the end of the chapter. And it's, this is, we're picking up in the middle of a conversation Jesus is having with uh, Pharisees and people gathered there. And um, he's just been accused of being of the devil. So this is where we pick it up. Uh, in verse 48, then the Jews answered and said to him, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So I'm glad this morning all I got asked was dates and uh, if there would be food that, that I wasn't posed with this question that I was a Samaritan and don't you have a devil too? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me and I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a devil. <laughs> now we know you're demon-possessed. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. Jesus can give it back as good as he gets. <laughs> but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. They took that rather well. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Ever wonder how Jesus hid himself? I just thought of that. Where did he hide himself? I mean, he's in a crowd. How did he hide himself? Maybe we'll look at that later. But this is a, this is a, a, a powerful passage here. And there's so much contained within this passage. It was, like a, it was a day like any other, or so it seemed. Moses was grazing his sheep on the backside of the desert. He knew this rugged terrain like the back of his hand. Same routine every day. His career was relegated to monotonous sheep keeping. He did not expect anything to change anytime soon, if ever. Like it or not, he had developed an expertise in leading animals around in an arid landscape. Let me just say, and I read this first part and I thought, man, I could just go from here. But just because you get good at something doesn't mean it's where God wants you to stay. <laughs> just because he was an expert at leading sheep around the desert did not mean that was his ultimate destination. Just like his ancestors back in Canaan, he earned his livelihood as a shepherd. Then Moses thought about Egypt. Yes, Egypt. 
During childhood, he was providentially rescued from becoming just another statistic and a program of mass killing. Then, in a striking paradox, he was raised in the very palace of the king who had unknowingly ordered his death, the death of all Hebrew male babies. He learned Egyptian culture. He learned Egyptian language. He was schooled by the finest teachers and gained respect amongst the nobility. Moses' mistake had been, though, to take matters into his own hands. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, lost his temper, murdered the guard, and hid the body. Soon he was on Pharaoh's most wanted list. And I'll interject again, no matter how great or how high up you think the world has placed you, this is where you will end up with the world is on its most wanted list. Posters of his mugshot were plastered across Egypt. And he fled the country as a fugitive. Thankfully, he was accepted into the family of a Midianite priest named Jethro. He married one of his daughters, and the rest, we could say, is history. He had switched careers midstream from prince to shepherd. And he had been chasing these foul-smelling animals around for the last 40 years. Then it happened. Moses noticed an odd bush. For some strange reason, it was burning but not being consumed. And when he approached to check it out, he heard a voice calling out to him, telling him to remove his shoes for the very ground upon which he stood, the ground upon which he'd been leading his sheep many times, was sacred. That's important to notice there too, that he'd walked that way before. God will show up in the ordinary. He will show up in unexpected places. We think it's the lightning bolts, and sometimes I've been in those altar services where God came down in just in a powerful way, but there's other times where if I had not been watching, I would have missed the burning bush just over there. It's just not another day. Just as shocking, the voice informed Moses that he was being sent back to Pharaoh to lead the Israelites out of captivity. Certainly, this God must have a name, he thought. So Moses inquired, when I come into the children of Israel and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? The voice responded resoundingly, I am that I am. And the voice added, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Some 1,400 years later, Moses' descendants would hear that very same voice again. During an intense exchange with the Pharisees, what we read in John chapter 8, Jesus identifies himself as the great I am. This was the voice that would repeat over 1,400 years later as Jesus says, I am. And the whole debate, the whole chapter there, the, the discussion starts over these claims that Jesus made about his origins. And he prompts the Pharisees to question where he was really from, who had really sent him, and where he was going. And of course, we have read where they, they said that you've surely got to have a devil that, that we're not sure, and then Jesus responds, and they say, now we know that you have a devil. In this debate, this dialogue, it, it kind of echoes different things from the conversation that God had with Moses on Mount Sinai. Just as Moses inquired about God's identity, just as he wanted to know who it was that was speaking, who he would say sent him, the Pharisees asked Jesus the same question, who are you? Who are you? The conversation then tries to resolve this issue of, 
uh, of fatherhood, of the, of the lineage of who Jesus' father was and who was the Pharisee's father. The Pharisees, we read, asserted that, that their human father was Abraham and their divine father was God. And they even uh, uh, intimated early on in the conversation, they seemed to suggest that Jesus had been conceived illegitimately and Jesus denied that all of this was true. You see, the Pharisees, they sought to murder Jesus. It was already in their minds that this guy has to go. So uh, because of this, we, we understand spiritually that because of the intent and motive of their heart, we know they weren't descendants of Abraham or God, but they were the children of the devil. They were the ones in the wrong. And so the Pharisees, they, they, even though they are possessed of the devil, they, they turn and accuse Jesus of being demon-possessed. And he not only denies the charge, but he makes this astonishing statement. If a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. He shall never see death. Since Abraham and the prophets had passed away long ago, the Pharisees wondered how this statement could possibly be true. And it leads them to ask, who do you think you are? basically. <laughs> Who do you make yourself out to be? Who do you really think you are? That's, that's kind of a dangerous question to ask Jesus. <laughs> Despite the fact that Abraham had lived some 2,000 years earlier, Jesus insists that Abraham had seen Jesus' day. He had seen it. And at last, the dialogue's most tense and climatic moment, Jesus reveals his divine identity under no uncertain terms. In verse 58, he says, Before Abraham was, I am. And just like Moses, thousands of years before, Jesus' listeners find themselves standing on holy ground, yet they don't even know it. I wonder how many times in my life I have stood on holy ground and not realized it. Just in the middle of conversation with the Lord, just in the middle of things happening and, or, or in a service and things taking place where I don't realize that the place that I am is holy ground. Because once I realize that I'm standing on holy ground, just like so many other things, I'm now faced with a choice. I'm faced with a choice. Do I listen to the voice? Do I obey the voice that's speaking to me? Or do I continue on the path that I was on? But we find that Jesus' claim, when he says, before Abraham was, I am, and this is the way Jesus works when it comes to his identity, that Jesus' claim to deity was unambiguous. There was no doubt about what Jesus was saying that day. Like I said, you, you'd better, you better be careful when you ask Jesus, who are you? Because he will reveal himself to you. And sometimes you may not like the answer that he gives, depending on your heart. But Jesus left no doubt about who he was. And I challenge you today, if you're not sure who God is, who Jesus is or should be in your life, I challenge you to ask him because he will reveal himself and he will reveal who he needs to be in your life today too. You see, he revealed himself to be none other than the same God who had spoken to Moses from the burning bush. And let me just warn you, we're about to get into something that is, is, I mean, it's the essence of Scripture, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and it's going to be quick, and you should look at it for yourself because this lesson is not near enough. He was the identical God who had revealed himself on Mount Sinai as I am. 
He was unambiguous about who he was. Jesus was, in fact, in that moment, he was asserting much more than simply claiming to be a prophet, than just being another good teacher, than just being another good man that was saying nice things. No, he was claiming in this moment to be the very embodiment of God himself. This was no small declaration to make. This was no small thing to make. He was not couching it in terms, well, I think that I might be, possibly could be, I had a feeling that I might be God robed in flesh. No, he was emphatically stating that I am the embodiment of God himself, the God that you have professed to worship for thousands of years. I am he. And the Pharisees, of course, we know the Pharisees, they react as we would expect now. We know how they react. They immediately went to the law. They remembered that under the law of Moses is, you know, we have our top sins now that we like to uh, 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 talk about. But their top sin, they remembered, was you cannot blaspheme against the name of the Lord. And if you do, you're going to be put to death. And they were convinced that Jesus had committed blasphemy. And in fact, if anyone else would say that, it would be blasphemy. The only one who could say that I am God is God. The Pharisees tried to stone him. And when they attempted to, we find that they tried to stone him two times. They explained the reason they did, that they were trying to stone him was because thou being a man, makest thyself God. They had no understanding. They had no concept. They were so concerned with their own agenda, their own power, their own uh, consolidation of power that they could not see what Jesus was saying. Their eyes were completely blinded. Sometimes we get so caught up in the way that it's been, the way that it always has been, that even God himself cannot break in and change our mindset. I, you know, I feel bad for the Pharisees. I do. Not just because they had to go up against Jesus, but I feel bad because I think they get a bad rap. I do. <laughs> because too many times... We look down on the Pharisees when most of the time I think we're actually looking across because we're on the same level many times. They couldn't see beyond the end of their nose. I don't know how many times God's been speaking to me, speaking to me, pounding me with the two by four. And finally, when I'm about to be pounded into the ground, I say, oh, is that you, God? Oh, you want to do something different? How many times that God has spoke to me and I've argued with him? We don't have time to go down the list of all the times I've argued with God. Now, I, I will say, I never said he was devil-possessed. I do want to put that there. <laughs> but the amount of times that I'm really no different than the Pharisees. No, God, this is the way that it's been. This is the way that it's going to keep going. And I know you want it. No, this is it. No, I need to make sure that, that when God speaks, that I am willing to listen to his voice, no matter how difficult or how challenging it may be. And I have to move on. But let me just say, when the Pharisees, they had a mindset. And they're, they'd taken it too far, but their origins were of God. They were quoting the law that came from God. God said, don't blaspheme my name. They had a mindset. Okay? And I'll tell you, the most difficult areas for God to change you is in your mindset. When it's something that you have thought, this is the way it is, this is the way it should be, this is how I was raised, this is what I know to be true, and God says no. 
I want to show you a different way. That is where it becomes really difficult. When he says, I want you to go pray for that person, that's one thing. But when he says, something that you've held as foundational to your life is wrong. That, okay, let's move on. So to these Jews that were steeped in the Torah, they knew it inside and out. The implications of Jesus' claim were not unclear. In fact, they were crystal clear that Jesus was professing to be the God that was revealed throughout the Old Testament. It wasn't the Old Testament to them. It was the New Testament to them. <laughs> this, was the only, this not only made him the I am who liberated Israel from Egyptian bondage, but understand... So this is not just about Moses and God in that conversation, but when he said, I am, he was saying, I'm not only that God, but I am the God, the very creator of the world itself. From its beginning, the gospel of John claims Jesus is the creator of the world. Anyone know the first words of the Bible? The first three words? Anyone know the first three words of the gospel of John? Do you think that's any coincidence? John is trying to demonstrate something. He's trying to say in the beginning, and what I'm about to tell you is that this all fits together. He goes back to those first words to draw a parallel, to draw the reader's mind back to the first words. As soon as they read in the beginning, they know that there's a reference because they know those words. So in recounting the account of creation, Genesis emphasized how God made, how he designated, how he hallowed the created order by Using It says God said that God called and God blessed. And he said that he called, that he blessed. We know how the world was created. How was the world created? By the power of what? Of the word. His spoken word. He said, let there be light and there was light. And John says, in the same as in Genesis, in the beginning, we then find John under the inspiration of the spirit. He then says, he describes Jesus as the word. There's no mistake why he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God is because he is saying that the same power that was present in creation is present inside Jesus Christ. He's drawing this parallel and, and, and we don't necessarily uh, get it the way that they did because they knew all the, they, they knew the Old Testament probably better than you and I do. And so they knew exactly they knew exactly, when, when John writes, they know exactly what he is saying. Marvin Vincent, who has a commentary, he notes that this expression, that the, the logos, the word, is the keynote, and it's the theme of the entire gospel, that that word, he, John is, is making sure, the point of his gospel is to make sure that you know that this is not just another great guy, but this is God robed in the flesh. And then John affirms this in John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so we see in Jesus, this unique thing happens that the creator of the universe somehow marvelously steps into his created world. He steps into the created order that he made. John chapter 1, verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. The world knew him not. The creation did not recognize its creator. From the beginning, the gospel of John also claims Jesus is the God of the Exodus. He is the God of creation. 
And he is also very plainly identifying with this conversation with Moses that, God is the, that Jesus is the God of the Exodus. John 1.14 states, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. So John, he notes that the Word dwelt among us. Understand what John is saying. He's saying that word that you, you know Genesis. In fact, Genesis is, is really kind of, Genesis 1 is really kind of a song. It's, it's more like a poem, a song, so that this was something that was written in such a way that people could remember it. So this was a, this was a passage that people would know. This was something that people would understand. And what he is saying is that same word that is mentioned in creation that exact same, that, that, that said, let there be light, that word that contains such power that, that there was light, there just was, dwelt among us. It took on the form in Jesus Christ and dwelt among us. That the power present inside of Jesus Christ is the same power that created the universe. And John, he makes a shift from the God of creation, though, to the God of Exodus. And really, we know that God's role as creator can shift from not only the role of creator to the role of redeemer. I'm thankful for his redemption in my life. And really, it becomes hard with God to begin to separate out the lines because in our mind, we like to have these defined roles, but really, where does the role of creator and the role of redeemer end? Because I know that with redemption, I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. Behold, all things are become new, that redemption is creation as well. To the next page. And it's hot in here today. Maybe it's just me midlife crisis what we find in Exodus we find the God of Exodus this God of the Hebrews he had compassion on his people's plight in Egyptian bondage and he drew near and we know that he saved them from slavery we don't need much help drawing comparisons here but several of the terms in John 1.14 they echo the language of Exodus. They prompt the readers not only to be the God of creation using the same language about the word and creation in the word, but that this is the, that Jesus is the same God who delivered the Israelites. The term dwelt is used in, in, in the Greek, uh, and we won't get into all that, but it signifies when they would put up the tents that, uh, and speaking of the tabernacle, that John is reminding his, his readers of, of that image of the tabernacle where God used to dwell, where that was a sacred place, that was a holy place in the wilderness where God would dwell among his people. And this is the same language that John uses in, in, in the first chapter, that this tent of meeting where God co would commune with Moses, where he would meet the people, that it's also embodied inside Jesus Christ. The, the term glory is the same word used, and it, 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 it brings to mind, as, as, as John's writing these words, it brings to mind the, the, the story of Moses seeing the, the glory of God pass by him. 
and, and, and they're, they're, they're having trouble with this because no man can see God. They understand that story and that not even Moses could see the face of God because it was too much. And yet John is saying the glory is right in front of you, that it's embodied and standing in front of you, that it's teaching you, that it's performing miracles in front of you, that, that, that you're walking with him and you still don't get it. The glory that filled the tabernacle, the terms grace and truth, they remind the readers of, of, of the grace and truth the Lord showed Moses in Israel. And yet we understand that Moses brought the law down from Sinai, yet in Jesus Christ there is the grace and truth. That he took us beyond the law, that there is truth, yes there is law, yes there is judgment, and yet there is grace also found in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful for laws and for boundaries, but I'm thankful for his grace that he is faithful and true to forgive me when I need it. We find that the glory of God that we see that Jesus is the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father and he hath declared him in John chapter 1 and verse 18. And this is a lot of stuff packed into just a short time. And I apologize for that. But what are you going to do? We find also the comparison that the invisible God was rendered visible through Jesus by seeing Jesus. We know in John chapter uh, 14, verses 7 through 10, that by seeing Jesus, a person has seen the Father. As Moses served as a mediator, as he would stand in the gap and say, Lord, if you're going to destroy them, destroy me first. As he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, as he stood as a bridge, we also find that Jesus serves as a mediator in John chapter 1 and verse 18, that he stands in the gap for you and I. That John is clearly uh, making this parallel that God is, the, that Jesus is the creator, but he's also the God of the Exodus as well. We find the Passover meal, the, the celebration of that, the Red Sea crossing, the, the journey through the wilderness of the children of Israel where God protected and he sustained his people. And he almost, we find the, the equation between the identity and mission of, of the God of the Exodus with Jesus. That the same, the same mission that God had through the story we get of the Exodus, Jesus has the same mission and purpose in his life. We know that he celebrated uh, a Passover where, where he fed, where in the feeding of the 5,000, the multitude, that it was a type or, or a shadow of the Passover. We, we know that instead of parting the Red Sea, that Jesus walked across the water. You see, you see how he add, came to add to? There's so much in here, I was just like, man. You see, the Red Sea tells me that God can take me through. And the walking on water tells me he can take me over. If I had a mic, we could drop it, you know? Doesn't work quite the same. <laughs> and finally... We know that he sustained them in the wilderness. How did he sustain them daily in the wilderness? He sustained them daily by manna. And he declares himself to be the true manna. That every single day, he's my sustenance. That whatever I need from day to day, he is my provider every single day. We find that Jesus is the new tabernacle and temple in which the presence of God resides. Jesus revealed that the Father is in me. 
He's the new tabernacle and the temple in which the presence of God resides. The, the incarnation, it took that statement and, and, and took the I am of the burning bush episode. And, and it shows us in the incarnation that that I am came to live on earth as a human. That the God who summoned Moses to serve as the leader of the Exodus was now dwelling within a body of human flesh among us. Jesus' flesh was a type of a tent or a shelter in order that he could encamp among his people. He took on flesh like, like a tent, like a shelter to dwell among us. We find that in ancient times that shrines and temples were, and even the, the temple of God, it was believed among uh, uh, people to connect to the dwelling place of the gods above with the dwelling place of humans below. That's why they built temples. That's why they did all that, because it connected the gods above to here on earth. It provided a dwelling place. But Jesus was the new tabernacle. He was the new temple that would house God's presence. And he would bridge the realms and the gap between heaven and earth. This was bridging it. God had long ago spoken to the patriarch Jacob at at Bethel. And he promised his continued presence to Jacob. I am with thee. I will not leave thee. And Bethel means the house of God. And Jacob referred to this holy place where he had a vision as the gate of heaven. And it, it was this vision where he dreamed and he saw a ladder set up on the earth. And the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And this was how God was revealed to himself at Jacob, demonstrating that there was an opening between heaven and earth. We know that Jesus Christ is the ladder of Jacob. That he is what bridges heaven and earth. That he is the mediator. That we, we don't have to have a vision. No, there is Jesus Christ is the embodiment of that. We know that angels ascend and descend. They're divine messengers sent from the throne of heaven. And, and they descended upon the Son of Man in John chapter 1 and verse 51. Jesus truly was God in flesh, the one who housed God's presence. And he formed a pathway linking heaven and earth. He liveth to ever make intercession for us. We find, though, the underlying theme of Exodus, of Exodus discloses Jesus' ultimate purposes. You see, this, this is important for us to understand that not just this fact, but, but the Old Testament is not just there for, for Sunday school. The Old Testament is not just there to get cool stories from. It's not just there so we can talk about Daniel and the lion's den. It's not just there so we can talk about David and Goliath. Because if I want to figure out what Jesus was all about, I can look to his words, but I can also look in Exodus. Because there's a connection through it all. Jesus is present throughout it all. So I can discover Jesus' ultimate purpose by looking at Exodus. I take the I am of Exodus and I take it with the gospel of John and we see the Lord's plans and purposes. We find uh, one author says, he points out that the Exodus is one important way that the Bible tells us not only about Christ's person, but about what he has accomplished in his work. We find in preparation for their departure from Egypt, the, the Israelites, they went through the first Passover. They applied blood of slain lambs to the doorpost to, to, to ward off the angel of death. And when he saw the blood, the Lord would pass over their homes. John the Baptist proclaims that Jesus was the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Although he was the great I am, although he was God manifest in flesh, although he came and dwelt among us, Jesus suffered and died a brutal death on our behalf. 
John 12, 24 says, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Jesus understood that there, there was a sacrifice, there was suffering, there was a death that had to happen. And the point of it was not just so he could die, but so there could be much fruit brought about because of his death. So by dying on the cross... Jesus willingly suffered and surrendered his fleshly tabernacle. He willingly surrendered it, and he did it in order to rescue and set free those enslaved by sin, those who had been captured by sin, just like Egypt had captured the Israelites and held them in slavery for 400 years. In the same way, Jesus surrendered his fleshly tabernacle to set you and I free, to set you and I free from the grasp of sin and from the consequences of sin and from the wages of sin. We find all that present in Exodus, and it remains true for you and I today there's one big difference though because the Jewish leaders would destroy this temple Jesus prophesied it that they would destroy this temple meaning his body we know that there was a difference between the earthly temple the earthly dwelling place even the temple of Jerusalem because it, we know that Jesus would not remain in ruins no it, three days later we know that he was resurrected from the dead we know that he was not remaining dead that he, he was going to conquer sin that he was going to conquer hell How many of you remember uh, the video from Father's Day a few weeks ago? I know it's etched in your memory. You think about it every day. I was editing that video, and all I could hear in the videos those kids were speaking was Brother Gene and I. I need to be quiet as they recorded them in the classrooms. All I could hear was me and you teaching down here. Keep it down. <laughs> we can fully trust Jesus, the great I am. We can fully trust him, the great I am. And here's how we can trust him. And, and this is all, we could, we could go down the list of all the things that the I am entails. But here, here's, here's where we're going to come to. We can fully trust the great I am to empower us to carry out his purposes through our lives. See, that's the point of it all. That is the point. Is the great I am, what, what was all of that conversation with Moses about? It was about Moses going and doing what God had called him to do. And, and, and the point and purpose that, that Jesus would like you to gather today more than anything else is that he can empower you to carry out his purpose. You see, the one who commissioned us will also assist us. The one who called us will also make a way for us to do what he's called us to do. We are called God's holy priesthood. The priesthood had a role. Their, their primary role was to serve God. If you and I are a holy priesthood, that role has not changed. We are called to serve God. If I'm not, am I a priest? If I'm not doing that, If, if I take my car in to get fixed and I take it to a mechanic shop, take it in and tell them, I don't have any clue about vehicles, just tell me what's wrong with this and fix it. First of all, the guy's going, yeah. And then he says, I mean, we'll keep it here for a little bit, but honestly, I don't, I don't know anything about cars either. 
I don't have a clue. Well, isn't the name out here your name? Yeah, I know. I just, I thought it would be cool to be a mechanic. I thought it'd be cool to have a place where people could bring their cars to get fixed and I'd be a mechanic. Problem was the first guy I brought his car in, I didn't have any clue. But I really enjoy being a mechanic. I really enjoy this job. I get to come here every day, get to put an oily rag in my back pocket, walk around. I can spill stuff everywhere and no one says anything. Is he a mechanic? I can call myself a priest all day long. But if I'm not serving God, I'm only fooling myself. And scripture tells us that the the hardest person to convince out of deception is the person who's deceived themselves. His purpose for the church is that we should bear witness to the gospel and make disciples of all the nations. That's his purpose. His purpose, he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to be a witness of the gospel. He came to make disciples. So if I am his servant, if I am a priesthood in his kingdom, then that should be my goal also. Just as the Lord promised Jacob that he would be with him throughout his journeys. Just as he promised Jacob, I'll go with you. We know that God's spirit, that's why he came and dwelled with us. (laughs) He came and dwelled with us. And he didn't just do it so that we would feel good. He did it so that we would be enabled to carry out his mission wherever we are at any point and any time. We have his spirit for a reason. To enable us to continue his purpose and his mission. In the same way that the Lord accompanied the early church throughout their efforts, performing miracles through them, he accompanies you and I today. That the church is no different today. I can't read the book of Acts and disconnect myself from it. I cannot, because if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means if God did it in the early church, then he wants to do it today. That means if God performed miracles in the early church, he'll still do it today. That means if people who we don't even know their names perform miracles, that means you and I can do the same thing today. And let me tell you this as well, if that's what God expected of the early church, that's what he expects of his church today. That's why we can still quote Acts 1.8. And it still holds true for us today because the expectation has not died. (laughs) We can't pick and choose that stuff either. He's the God of miracles, but the expectations are lower too. No, it's still all true today. Moses was ultimately disqualified from leading Israel into the promised land. Instead, he died on top Mount Nebo. But God promised that he would be with us till the end of time. That we would see promises accomplished. That he has filled us us with his spirit. That he dwells within us. That we are his temples. That that's who we are. You see, when the Lord called Moses from the burning bush, Moses struggled. I get hope from that burning bush experience. I get hope from it. Because really, Moses, Moses gives us all hope. I mean, most of my excuses come from that conversation. He laid out the list. He had doubts, fears, uncertainties. He insists that he's nobody. I'm nobody. Maybe I was somebody once, but I'm nobody now. 
I'm on the backside of the desert. Nobody even knows my name. Nobody knows who I am. 40 years is a long time, especially in today's society. You're famous on Twitter one day and nobody knows you the next. So you have to revalidate yourself again. Sorry, I got to do that right now. But he insists that he's a nobody. How many have ever said that to the Lord? Who am I? I mean, okay, you want the list? Here's the list of all the people that are better suited to this than me. I'm nobody. They're somebody. They've got talent. They've got ability. They've got name. They've, they, they've got all this stuff. So he had that. That was his first excuse. Then he said, the Israelites won't believe me. It's not me, it's you. <laughs> he said, well, okay, so maybe, maybe you're with me, but the, nobody's going to believe what I have to say. Nobody's going to believe what I have to say. How many ever struggled with that before? First of all, I'm nobody. So if I'm nobody, when I get up to say anything, who's going to believe me? Who's going to... You know, when... when ah, man, I've got to finish up here. I could ramble on today. You know, everyone that... that, that and I'll just use uh, like a, a, pu a public ministry, a pulpit ministry. Everyone at some point has to deal with the fact that I'm not perfect. And yet God's given me something to say. How many of you ever heard someone say, now I'm preaching to myself today. I'm looking in the mirror today. I mean, every message could be prefaced with that. Because I know who I am. And some of you do too. And the problem is, is how are people even going to listen to what I have to say? Because I know who I am. They know who I am. And the worst is when God tells you to, to talk and preach about something that you blatantly know that you struggle with. He says, they were, they're not going to believe me. I've grown up with them. They, they, well, and of course, Moses is in a whole lot worse situation. He killed somebody and buried the body. Okay? This is like, sorry for the carnal reference, this is a Netflix series waiting to happen right here. <laughs> The deliverer of Egypt, back in his younger days, killed somebody and buried the body. Where's the body? Now, maybe that's you, but I would say the vast majority of us are not in that camp. Hopefully, you haven't killed anyone and buried the body. If you've done one or the other, okay, but hopefully not both. So why would they believe a murderer who's been banished? And he was a poor speaker. And he was a poor speaker. How many of you have had to do something and the first thing you said, I'm not good at this, I don't like, that's exactly what he said. I'm not good at this, I don't like this, I can't speak. I, I, they speak a different language, I forgot the language, that's a lie, that is a lie. Okay? You don't live somewhere for 40 years and just forget the language. No, he's just not confident. He's not confident in himself. And yet what does the burning bush experience do? The I am assures him that not only am I God, so that's the first revelation, that I'm God, but I've called you, and I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to equip you for what you need to do. I'm going to equip you for what you need to do. And here it is. As the I am, and you've probably heard this, you've probably heard it preached. It's a great thing to preach. But as the self-existing one, God can be whatever he needs to be. 
That's why in one service, and it doesn't matter if the message, a song, anything was about it, God can heal someone, he can make a way for someone, he can save someone, he can bring peace to someone because he can be whatever he needs to be. And if he can be whatever he needs to be, he can equip you however you need to be equipped, and he can provide whatever you need to, to be provided for you to accomplish what he's called you to do, to be a priest. If he has called you to be a priest, then he has given you the ability to be one. If he has called you to serve in whatever capacity it is, then he has given you the ability to serve. So whatever my anxiety, whatever my limitations, whatever my circumstances may be, I need to realize that he is the I am, that he has all power, that he can do all things, and I need to trust in that. I need to believe in that. That if I am his, then he can use me however he sees fit, and he will do what only he can do. Whatever you need, he is. I'm going to close this up and save this for later. But you look throughout Scripture, God is whatever is needed in the situation. The four Hebrew children, oh, I got to pull this back out. God can be whatever he needs to be. He is whatever is needed. What's this say? Not whatever you want him to be. He'll be whatever he needs you to be. Whatever he needs to be. So, okay. If I'm standing in front of a fiery furnace, and I'm finishing. If I'm standing in front of a fiery furnace, refusing to bow. I tell you what, what I want. I want out of there. I'm praying, okay, Lord. <laughs> I, remember, I remember Elijah on Mount Carmel. He sent fire down that consumed water. So, Lord, I believe you can send water to consume fire. What? Seven times hotter. Okay, Lord, can you at least cool it down? Even so, Lord, just come quickly. Just... That's what they, I'm sure that's what they wanted. I know they said, even if we die, you know, he's, he's still God. They were, they were willing to do all that, but inside there had to be at least any time now, any time, any time. All right, God. Oh, they're picking me up now. Oh, okay, I'm getting carried. This is a little weird. All right, the guy's just died that's carrying me. It's so hot. Now what do I do? But God knew what was needed. And all of a sudden in the fire, it's not what they wanted, I'm sure, but in the fire, God was who he needed to be. And he said, I am with you in the fire. He shows up. So you know what? I can trust that even when he doesn't hit my marks, I can still trust that he's going to hit his mark, that he's going to show up how he needs to show up. Amen. Why don't we stand this morning and give God praise? Come on. I don't know what you're going through, what you're struggling with, but I know that he is able. He's the great I am. Whatever you need in this place today, God can do it in your life today. If you need a miracle, God can do it today. If you need strength, he can do it today. If you need salvation, he can do it today. If you need confidence to do what he called you to do, he is in this place to do it. Come on, why don't we just give him praise all over this place? Oh, I thank you, Lord Jesus. Lord, that you are the creator. 
Lord, that you're the God of the Exodus, Lord, that you brought me out into this marvelous light, that you make all things new. And Lord, I can trust you, that you will be whatever I need in my life, that you will show up. Oh, I thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. He is. We're about ready to enter into service. We're going to break. And let me just tell you, whatever you need today, he's able. You just reach out to him and he'll do what you need in your life today. Amen. We're going to take a short break here and start our main service. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed this morning.